As we prepare to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, give us life according to your word. Teach us your statutes, make us understand the way of your precepts, and we will meditate on your wondrous works. Strengthen us according to your word, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Mark, the book of Mark chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, we've been considering a series through the book of Mark, and we've come to Mark chapter 6, and we want to read together the second part of uh, verse 6 through uh, verse 13 as we think about Jesus sending out his 12 disciples. Um, so Mark chapter 6, we're going to be reading at the second part of verse 6, so it looks like the tail end of that paragraph, and then into the next uh, section there through verse 13. Uh, you're looking at our pew Bibles, you'll find that in most of them on page 1070. Uh, Mark is the second book of the New Testament between Matthew and Luke. So Mark chapter 6, beginning our reading at verse 6 and reading through verse 13. And let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. And he, that is Jesus, went about, went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Uh, You may have noticed in your bulletin this morning that our sermon is entitled A Great Commission. Uh, It's a great commission because this is not the great commission. We read about the great commission in Matthew 28 when the risen Lord uh, gives his disciples, the 11 11, uh, faithful disciples, now apostles, uh, their commission to go out into the world and to go to the ends of the earth, bringing the gospel, baptizing people, and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded them. We know that as the great commission. And this is not the great commission, but this is a great commission. Uh, This is where Jesus now is going to send his disciples out two by two to preach and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. These men who had been witnesses to the kingdom had seen and heard the word and the power that Jesus had proclaimed are now going to participate. Uh, One commentator put it this way, these men who have been actors to this point or extras to this point are now becoming actors. Uh, To this point, they've only been witnesses in the story. Now they are going to be participants in the mission of Christ uh, to go out and to do what he has been doing. They are going to be commissioned here to go out and to do the work in his name. And so this is an important moment in the ministry um, of Jesus and of his disciples. And so we want to think about this. We want to think about this, this passage and the important uh, role it plays in the ministry of our Lord. Um, and so what do we see here? Uh, well, first we see the kingdom commission that is given to these 12. That's the first part of what we want to think about. And then we want to think about the kingdom charge. What are they to go out and do? 
Um, how do we understand that? And then finally, we want to see the kingdom consequences. How does their ministry go? How does it unfold? And so that's how we want to think about this passage this morning. The kingdom commission, uh, the kingdom charge, and the kingdom consequences. The kingdom commission is finally given here. These men are finally being sent out. Um, We might remember that they were separated for this service already back in chapter 3. In chapter 3 was where we were told that Jesus chose his 12 uh, to to do this mission. Um, In fact, the whole book of Mark has been preparing us for this moment. Uh, Ever since Jesus began to proclaim the commission and met his first disciples as fishermen and said to them, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Uh, They've been being prepared for this moment. Then in chapter 3, he set them apart as the 12, particularly uh, to do this work. And you might remember that when we looked back, um, or we didn't look back at the time, we were there at the time, but looking back now at where we were in the book of Mark, uh, it was Mark chapter 3, verse 13, where Jesus set aside these disciples. And verses three through 15, 13 through 15 of Mark 3, we read, And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Um, and there, when we considered that passage, we, we thought about why they are being set apart this way. Why are they being called? First of all, they're called to be with Jesus. That's an important part of their preparation for ministry. Before they go out to speak, before they go out to work in power, they're going to have plenty of time to be around Jesus as he speaks and as he works power. This is their seminary education um, to learn how to do this from the master himself. So ever since then, they've been with Jesus. They've been with him. They've been witnesses to what he's done. They've heard him preach as they are going to be called to preach. They've heard what it means to proclaim the good news of the kingdom and the call and response to the news that that kingdom is coming. And we'll think about that more as we go on. But they were to preach and they were to work power. They were to be given authority to cast out demons. And they were set aside for that. They were called apostles, the ones who are sent out. That's really what apostles means. Um, But they weren't yet sent out. It's taken all the way to this point for them to actually then be sent And that's what's happening now. These ones who were set aside are going to be called out. And what are they going to do as they go out? They are going to bear witness. Uh, They are going to bear witness to the kingdom. They're going to bear witness to what they'd seen and heard. They are going to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. uh, The power of that coming. And they are to proclaim that both in word and in deed. That's what the miracles of Jesus are really doing, just continuing the proclamation of what that kingdom means. And that's what these men are being, are being set aside for. That's what they are being commissioned for. And the commission finally comes that they are going to go out and do this. And we see Jesus equipping them for this mission. Uh, this, this commission includes equipping Uh, Jesus is going to give them what they need to go out. And the first thing we see him equipping them with is authority. Um, He equips them with authority. We're told that in in the second part of verse 7. He began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, 
right here, only the authority over the unclean spirits is mentioned. But as we have already heard and as we hear at the end of this text, they're not just going to go out as exorcists. Right? That's not their only job as they go out. They're going to go preaching. They're going to go out healing. And so this authority, I think, is meant to encompass not just that particular work, but all of the work that they've been given to do. Goes out and is done under the authority of Jesus. Uh, they go out and speak as those who have authority from him. They are appointed by him to do the work that they are going to do. Uh, they preach as those given authority. Uh, they drive out demons as those given authority. They heal the sick as those given authority. And why is that important? Uh, that they do these things under his authority. Uh, because everywhere they go, they are showing that they are his appointed representatives. They don't do these things in their own name. They don't speak these things in their own name. They do these things and they speak these things as representatives of the king. They go out in his name to preach the, the, the kingdom. And that's how the Jewish people at the time would have understood that commissioning. Um, in, in Judaism, it was popular to say the sent one is the same as the man who commissioned him. Uh, when the disciples speak, when they speak as these apostles sent out, they speak in his name. Um, what they say is what he's saying. What they're doing is what he's doing. They don't do any of this in their own name. They do all of this in the name of the king. Um, it's sort of like when an ambassador goes out from the United States. When they are given a mission by the United States as representatives of the United States, they can go to another country as the, as the ambassador and say, this is the will of the United States. They speak with the full power and authority of the country behind them. Um, even if the ambassador isn't in, in himself or herself a particularly impressive person, the word and the weight of what they bring and what's behind them is impressive. Right? Some, someone might be tempted to say, well, I don't really care much what this ambassador has to say. Um, but if the ambassador is saying the whole weight of the United States, the power of the United States lies behind what I say, that's not a word that should be disregarded. Right? And as powerful as our country is in the world, the kingdom of Christ is far greater. Um, really can't compare the two or the glory of the king. And so when these messengers come and say, thus says the Lord, it's a word that comes with authority. That's what the Lord is doing. He's, he's commissioning these men to go forth and speak for him and for the kingdom that he's bringing. Uh, that's the authority with which Jesus equips them. Uh, they are given authority to really expand the work of the kingdom. Right? To this point, the mission of Christ has, has involved one preacher. There's only one, one person proclaiming the kingdom. That's been the Lord Jesus Christ. And now what is he going to do? He's going to send out these men two by two as missionaries, and that's going to expand the work of the church into a sevenfold work. You might say, how does that math work? Well, you've got to remember Jesus, and then the six pairs of two. I tried to make sure this, this added up, so I wasn't going to embarrass myself. But it goes from being a one-fold mission to a sevenfold mission. Right? It's a force multiplier, we might say, for the kingdom of God in the world. That's what mission does. It, it sends people out. That's why we should get excited when we hear about chaplains going out into the Navy, missionaries going out into the world, 
preachers planting churches. It's because the mission is being expanded. There are more places now where the king is being proclaimed, where the kingdom is being applied in power. Uh, That's what's happening here. The mission is being expanded. The good news is being proclaimed. Um, And so Jesus is equipping them with the authority to go out and do that, uh, to commission the church. But notice he's also equipping them with company. Um, It's important that Mark, alone among the gospel writers, says they went out two by two. Uh, Jesus did not send them alone into the world. They go equipped with authority, but they're also equipped with company. This shows the wisdom of our Lord in sending out these messengers. He equips them with company. He's chosen 12 Twelve men to represent the new Israel of God. Right? God doesn't do anything for no purpose. Uh, Jesus didn't choose twelve because that's just a nice round number. Right? There's a reason to choose twelve. They represent the new Israel of God. They represent the new people of God that Jesus has come to build. Uh, One commentator put it this way, the 12 disciples represent in a new form the people of the 12 tribes. Through the choice of the 12, Jesus made visible his claim upon the whole people of Israel. Choosing 12 is a way of not only looking back to how God has set up his people historically, it's also looking forward to what that people is to be. Not disconnected from the people who were in the past, but that past people reconstituted in a new form, including those people, but also expanding the work. That the new Israel of God is is still the Israel of God. There's still 12, it's just a new representative. So as they go out into the world, what are they representing to the world? This is the new people of God. This is the kingdom that God is bringing and building. This is the kingdom of God that's coming to you. And it's coming to them two by two. You thought I forgot that that's where I started. But I wanted to start with the 12. And then Jesus sends them out two by two. The 12 is intentional to represent the new people of God, but the two by two is also intentional. Uh, What did the law require when you were going to establish an important case? The law required you had to do it by the testimony of at least two witnesses. And so sending them out two by two, again, is not just something Jesus did. Um, It's something he did with a purpose, because wherever they could go, they could say, this is what the law requires, isn't it? That two people testify to the truth of a matter. And so there would have been two people to testify to what they'd seen and what they'd heard to establish the case for the kingdom uh, in defense of what they were doing. There's There's a law purpose in what Jesus does in sending them out two by two. And we could also say there's not just a law purpose, there's a loving purpose. Jesus knows, as a missionary, that mission work is hard. And Jesus is wise in what he does. And what does the wisdom of God's word tell us? Two are better than one. Right? That's the wisdom of Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one. Because, if they have, they, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. 
But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Especially when he doesn't bring two tunics. How does one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-fold cord is not quickly broken. This is a loving purpose. This is a wise purpose in what the Lord does for mutual companionship, for mutual support. Uh, This commission is being done for them to go two by two and to proclaim the kingdom. And this kingdom commission comes also with a kingdom charge. Uh, Wherever we have a commission, we we always have a charge. Um, That happens when we appoint ministers. Uh, When I was ordained, they had called me, they commissioned me in my ordination service, but I also received a charge. There's a charge there in the form. And in fact, every one of you who've made profession of faith has received a charge from the church. Uh, You might not remember it, but you were charged. Um, And in case you don't remember it, let me remind you of what the charge was that came to you. I charge you then, beloved, by the diligent use of the means of grace and with the assistance of your God to continue in the profession that you have just made. Uh, Those whom God commissions, he also charges. And so what what is the charge? What is a kingdom charge to these disciples on this mission? Well, first, what, is, what are they to do? They're to rely on the king and on his subjects. Uh, that's the, the, the charge that they're given first, to rely on the king and on his subjects. That's why they receive a very particular charge for this very particular mission. Um, they may only take the sandals on their feet and the staff in their hand. That's the only thing they can take, the normal things they would go on a walk with for this journey. You notice that in verse 8, all the things that they're not allowed to take. Uh, No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. Just the shoes on your feet and the staff in your hand. That's what you may take along for this journey. Now it's important that we remember that this is a specific charge for a specific mission. This doesn't mean that when I go to do pulpit supply in another church, I'm not allowed to take a bag or a wallet or money with me. Right? This was a particular mission that they were on. Um, and what, one thing they were being taught right from the beginning is to rely on God, to be single-mindedly serving Him in what they do. Because if you don't take anything with you, you stay mobile, right? You, you, you're, you can walk much more easily because you are unencumbered. They're not to have their minds on anything else other than the mission. They're to rely only on God. And it will also remind them that wherever they are provided with money, wherever they are provided with bread, wherever they are provided with shelter. You took two tunics, so you could use one kind of like a sleeping bag. If you need to stop somewhere, you could use the second tunic to kind of sleep in. Um, And so by not taking that, they were relying on someone else for food, for support, for shelter. And they were relying ultimately on God's people for that. But who stands behind God's people? God himself. We remind ourselves of that every time we pray, give us this day our daily bread. That no matter how much we've worked to get that bread, we know that ultimately it comes from the Lord. That without his blessings and goodness, we couldn't make use even of the gifts that he's given to us. They are going out completely reliant on God um, and to be mobile, to be able to keep moving easily from place to place to continue to expand the work of the kingdom. 
um, God will provide them and they're single-minded in their service. So they're to rely on the king and his subjects as they go forward into the world. And the second charge is to remain with those who receive the king. If you go somewhere and they receive you, Remember what we said about how they're going as, as ministers. They are going in the king's name, on the king's service. And so someone who receives them, who are they receiving? They're receiving not the disciples, but the king. And Jesus says, if you go anywhere and they receive you, you stay there. You stay there. Stay with those who receive the king. Now again, they're to be mobile, so this is not meant to be a long-term burden, to the family. This is not like sometimes when we have guests where you're eager to see them go after a while. Um, They're not supposed to stay anywhere too long, so they're not supposed to burden a family. But also not moving around would avoid causing trouble where they go. Because you imagine you're, let's say, Peter and John, and you go to a village, and they, the first people take you in, and they're nice people, but, you know, they don't have the greatest accommodations. They make, they make the best for you. And then as you continue to preach, maybe someone with a really nice house comes to believe. And they've got a really nice pool. And you're tempted to think, you know, it might be nice. to It's hot out. It might be nice to take a dip in the pool. Um, well, what could happen? Well, you could dishonor the first house that received you by moving on to another better one. Um, and you remember, the disciples are not always the greatest when it comes to mission. So Jesus is saying, when someone receives you, stay there. Um, And it's not meant just to be a burden on those people. It's meant to be a blessing. Um, Think about what a wonderful blessing that would have been to sit around with the disciples as a believer and say, what's Jesus like? What have you seen? Remember, John said you could feel books with what Jesus did. The things that are written here are just what have been written down for us, which are necessary for doctrine and life. There are a lot more stories. The disciples could have told someone who sits down with them and invites them in. It was a blessing. Other gospels talk about the blessing that resides on the house that received them. But they're to remain with those who receive the king. Uh, Those who receive them are receiving him, and they're to stay there as long as they are in that place. So their charge is to rely on the king and on his subjects, to remain with those who receive the king, and finally to reject those who reject the king. They're being reminded of one of the difficulties of ministry is that some places where you bring the glories of Christ and of his kingdom, they will not receive it. And that they would go places that would treat them the way Nazareth has just treated Jesus. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence that this comes right after Jesus' own bad ministry experience in Nazareth, that they are reminded there are going to be places you will go where no one will receive you that you will be depending on each other to keep one another warm because no one will, ha- will bring you in. Um, and you will go hungry. You will be unprovided for. And if that happens to you in a place, who have they rejected? Uh, they have rejected not the disciples. They've rejected the king. The king has come bringing the embassy of the glories of his kingdom, proclaiming that good news. And if people will not receive it, they are rejecting him. And it's a serious thing when that happens, when God puts out his hand to someone and they slap it away. And so what are the disciples to do when they experience that rejection of the kingdom? 
the rejection of the king. They're to make a testimony of judgment against that place. A testimony of judgment that maybe sounds kind of strange to us. They're to shake the dust off their feet. Um, Now, boys and girls, you maybe have been told a time or two by mom or dad to dust off your feet or wipe off your feet before you come in. Uh, That's because they don't want you to make a mess. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Um, When you shook the dust off your feet, what it was a sign of is, this place is so condemned that I don't even want to take the dust of it with me away on my shoes. I want so much to have nothing to do with this place, I don't even want to take the dust of it with me. Sometimes pious Jews would do that when they traveled to a Gentile land. Before they came back to their own place, they would, they would meticulously wipe the dust off of their shoes because they didn't want to bring any of the dust of that place that was liable to the judgment of God into the place that was blessed by God. That's what that did. When the disciples would shake the dust off their feet, they were signifying a complete, a complete break with that place. That they were breaking off communication between them and that place and therefore between the king and that place. It was a visible thing that would have demonstrated clearly to everyone who saw it. I think in, in there's one, the reason Mark says you shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Mark knows the disciples understand what that means. Mark knows we don't understand what that means. That's why he's saying as a testimony against them. Because it was a signal of a complete break. It's as if they were saying in Jesus' name, you've, rece- you've refused to receive the king and his kingdom. Therefore, the king is breaking off all contact with you. You have rejected the king, and therefore the king is rejecting you. Uh, that was the sign that was to be given. That was the charge with which they were to go out into the world. And so how did it go? Right, we have the commission and we have the charge. And so what did they do? How did it go? And that brings us to the kingdom consequences. Um, how does it go? How does the mission go when they go out into the world? Um, well, it's here that we see in verses 12 and 13. If you were despairing, we'd get to the end of the passage. We're here. Um, we're, we're here where they go out and they do what God has called them to do. We find them going out in Christ's name and preaching the kingdom. And it's here we read about the full extent of what they're called to do. Not just drive out demons, but also preach in Christ's name. Also heal the sick in Christ's name. And we're told that that's what they do. Mark, 12, or Mark 6.12 tells us they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. They went out and proclaimed that people should repent. This is a wonderful summary of what the gospel ministry is the proclamation that people should repent. And repent is such an important word here. It summarizes their entire message. Right? Mark wanting to summarize what is it that they preached said that they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. That's the summary of the message. We have that in Scripture, don't we? Several times where the message is summarized. Paul says, I preach Christ crucified. That's the message. Uh, Mark's saying here they preached repent. 
Um, that's the message. Now, are they different messages? No, it's a different way of summarizing what the same message is. And it's an important word. It's a very important word. It's a, there's a great reason why Mark uses it as the summary of their ministry. Because what does it mean to repent? Well, that word in Greek literally just means to change one's mind. So they went out preaching. You need to change your mind. You need to change your mind about what? Um, Well, sometimes we use repentance in terms of what you are changing your mind away from and what you are changing your mind toward. And that's often how the, the word presents to us that reality of the change of mind that's required in the face of the kingdom of God. Right? Because what is the gospel that's being preached of the kingdom? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is now at hand. Right? Christ the Messiah has come. That kingdom of Messiah that was always promised has come. The time we've been waiting for is fulfilled. He's here. The next thing to come is the kingdom and of all of its fullness. So what kind of people should you be? How do you have to respond? You have to respond by changing your mind in respect to two things. What you have to turn away from and what you have to turn toward. And what does the repentance talk about when it talks about the things we have to turn away from? Well, when we use it that way, we talk about repenting from your sins. Turning away from rebellion against that kingdom that's coming. That's what sin is. It's a rebellion against that kingdom. It's what that kingdom is coming to deal with. The injustice of that. So being told the kingdom is here, what do you have to turn away from? Rebellion against the kingdom. You have to turn away from sin. That's what it is. A rebellion against the kingdom of God. And then the Bible sometimes says you need to repent toward something else. What do you need to repent towards? What do you need to change your mind towards? You need to change it towards the king who's coming. Seek his face. Paul uses repentance that way in Acts 20 when he says and summarizes his ministry there by saying, I labored with you in public and house to house, sometimes with tears, telling you of the need of repentance toward God. You need to change your mind toward God um, and, and have faith in Jesus Christ. That was his message to them. And so the Bible can use it in both ways. And why does it use it in both ways? Because both are important. Both are essential. Both are involved in true repentance and conversion. Turning away from rebellion against the king and turning towards the king in faith and loyal service. In gratitude for what he's done. That's why this is such a perfect word to summarize the content of their message. Repent. Change your mind. Change your mind from how you've related to God in the past, turning away from your sin and rebellion and turning toward the God who you are to love and to serve. That's the essential message of the kingdom. That's always been the essential message of the kingdom. To make us prepared to meet the king who's coming in righteousness. It's no coincidence that we also sang Psalm 96. I chose it for a reason, but it's because Psalm 96 talks about the coming of the king and being ready to meet him when he comes. That's the essential message that needs to get out. And it's important that we maintain that balance, what you need to turn from and what you need to turn toward. 
Because there have been times in the church's message where we are good at this and not good at that. Or good at that and not good at this. If you're listening to the audio, what is he doing? Um, this, I'm trying to remember, this is turning away and this is turning toward, right? So there have been times where the church has been really good at hammering away at what you need to turn from. And that's, that's almost become the only message. The, the hellfire and brimstone against sin. And sometimes we see that when we deal with sins like homosexuality or gender confusion, which are sins which must be turned from. But if you only tell people what they are turning from and never tell them what they are turning toward, an essential message is lost. Just as if you only tell people to turn to Jesus and pretend that you don't need to forget this stuff. Right? It has to be both. You seminarians remember that. It has to be both. It can't just be sin, 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 or grace, grace, grace. It has to be both. Because the world needs to hear both. And because if you emphasize only one, something essential is lost. Particularly if you only emphasize the sin that has to be turned from and never tell people what they are turning toward. You never extend the hope and the glory of what they're turning toward. Because in coming to Christ, what are you turning toward? It's shown in the work of power that they do. That's why the work of power that they do is proclaiming the kingdom as well. What is the kingdom you are turning toward when you turn away from your sins and turn this king? It's a kingdom that makes you well. Notice that that's how they proclaim the power of the kingdom in the deeds they do. When you say to someone, you need to turn to sin and turn to God, and someone says, well, what do you gain by turning to God? It's their miracles here that are telling them. It's showing the nature of that kingdom. It's that kingdom that's coming, the God to whom you're turning, breaking into this present evil age. And when that kingdom breaks in, what happens? The spiritually oppressed are liberated. The people who are bowed down and oppressed by demons are freed. The spiritual oppression is removed by the authority of the king who's coming. He's come to make you well. He's come to make your soul well. He's come to make your body well. I think it's important how the story is told. The kingdom is proclaimed. The spiritual power of the kingdom is shown. The physical power of the kingdom is shown. Because that's the way it's still happening in the world. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe in him, your soul is made well. Your body is still perishing. Right? I'm getting better and better spiritually. I'm getting worse and worse physically. My knees told me that this morning when I walked up the stairs. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed by the Spirit of God. But what does this miracle promise when the anointing oil the disciples put on people, it's symbolizing the Spirit being put on the people? And what happens? The body's being made well. We're being made well in the same order. We're hearing the kingdom. It's making us spiritually well. And one day it will make us physically well. We will be completely healed, body and soul. That's what the Lord is saying you are turning toward in coming to the kingdom. It's not just turn away because God's arbitrarily saying that stuff I don't like. He's saying that's the stuff that has caused spiritual oppression. That's the stuff that's caused disease and death. 
And it's the kingdom that's coming that promises the alleviation of all of that. The king has come to make the world well. To take away the curse. And to not just restore it to what it was, but to make it even better. That's the embassy they bring. And how did people receive it? Mark doesn't say. He says they did it, but he doesn't give us a report. They give Jesus a report in verse 30, but we're not given details. How did it go? Who received them? Who welcomed them? Who rejected them? We're not told, and why? I think in part so that we put ourselves in the place of the people of those villages and ask ourselves the question, when the Lord comes and presents his embassy to us and gives the promise of the kingdom that's coming, how do we respond? Do we have a home in our hearts for the king? Do we welcome him when he holds out his hand to us or do we slap it away? I think it's meant to bring us in to remind us all that you can have part in that great kingdom that's coming that will make all things well or you can turn away from it and in the end Jesus will say, depart from me, you never knew me because you rejected him. And the plea that goes out in his name still today is the Lord wants you to live. He wants you to receive the kingdom that's coming so that you would be weighed well, body and soul. And if you've received him, brothers and sisters, know that you are becoming well. Your soul has been saved. And one day, body and soul, you will be raised to fellowship with that king who sent his people to speak of his kingdom to you. And that one we see now by faith, we will see face to face as those who are well, body and soul. May we respond to the message of the kingdom and have life in his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray that we would receive your son in true repentance. We thank you for the spirits coming to us and proclaiming that word to us, and we pray that we would respond with repentance and faith, changing our minds from our sins and towards our Savior, desiring that he would abide with us forever. Um, And we know that when we turn to him that we will find physical and spiritual health and joy and peace in his kingdom, the glories of which we cannot conceive or even imagine in this present evil age. So we we pray you would bring these things to us quickly, for we ask them in Jesus' name.